Hello, Lisa. Hello, Diana. Welcome to Season 2 of Should We? A conversation with friends about the everyday choices that make us. This is our first episode of the new season that all our friends helped us bring to life on Kickstarter. It's such a beautiful moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Making this real. And we also have our first real guest, Cynthia Samanian. Cynthia happens to be my neighbor, and we recently went over to her house and cooked with her in her kitchen because we wanted to ask her a very important question. Should we make food? The thing is, we don't. So it was a very interesting question to ask. And Cynthia is very qualified to answer it because she has a business called Confetti Kitchen. Should we do it? Amazing. Great. All right. So we're making shakshuka, ladies. Uh, we talked about it earlier, and I'm so excited because it is one of my favorite go-to dishes. Um, in fact, a friend just made it for breakfast today, and we're going to have it for dinner tonight. So I love it. Works anytime you want. So uh, have you guys looked at the recipe? No. <laughs> no. Okay, so always read the recipe when you're gonna make something. Um, but fortunately, this is this is gonna be easy and fun. So shakshuka is a Tunisian dish. It's poached eggs in a tomato sauce and has bell pepper. We also got her into a studio to talk about starting a business, writing a Vespa, and doing the other badass things that Cynthia does. So my company is called Confetti Kitchen, and it launched just earlier in July. And I'm really excited about it. Basically, it's a cooking site for millennials. And most people ask me, well, what does that mean? And why are millennials different? Uh, And essentially, it's a site focused on the types of foods that I like to cook. And a lot of my friends are seeking to cook. So we have recipes, tutorials, videos, all that good stuff. Cynthia, um, I was snooping around your website. I guess it's not really snooping because it's a public (laughs) website to be shared. I was looking at your team page and I noted your Vespa on this page. And then when you came in today, I saw that you had this uh, motorcycle helmet with you. Or is it like a special Vespa helmet? No, it's a motorcycle helmet because I want to be extra safe. I don't have a cutesy little normal cap helmet. Okay. Yeah. Full face, full protection. (laughs) Okay, so so for our listeners' benefit, they should know Cynthia came in with a fancy motorcycle helmet, but also looking very polished, you know, not uh, super windswept. So this whole situation is a mystery to me. Please, could you tell me first, should we ride Vespas? And if so, how? How is it done? Well, I was secretly hoping the Vespa would come up in this conversation, and I did actually think of a should we prompt. So thank you for asking that. I think you should definitely ride a Vespa, especially if you live in a city like San Francisco that has hills everywhere. I found it to be a game changer because I can get from one part of the city to the other so quickly without having to rely on anyone else, kind of like my freedom and independence. And it's been great. I use it all the time to get groceries, to run errands, to go to meetings. And I just feel like it makes me feel invincible in the city. But you do have to be careful. 
very, very careful. How much of the invincibility and power comes from the vehicle and how much comes from walking in with a giant helmet <laughs> under your arm? I have to say that definitely raises a lot of eyebrows, especially because it's the same helmet you would carry if you were you know, riding a Harley Davidson, which I'm definitely <laughs> not, but my bright orange scooter is the light of my life and I miss her dearly whenever I travel. I wonder if you could go back a little bit to uh, where was the beginning of Confetti Kitchen? What was the seed of it? Yeah, I've tried to answer that question a lot because really every time I think I've figured it out, I think back five years before that and five years before that. And then I get to basically when I was you know, born um, because really it's been an evolution throughout my whole life. And I grew up in a home where my parents cooked. They cooked because they had to. It was the norm to cook every night for dinner. And every now and then we might get Pizza Hut because it was you know, a Friday night and that was a treat. But really they would cook all the time. And I wasn't huge into cooking growing up. I certainly wasn't top chef juniors now that they have <laughs> that show, which is so funny to think about. Um, I definitely, you know, I would watch Martha Stewart with my mom and do more arts and crafts and go to Joanne Fabrics, which was super close Love to Joanne, Joanne Fabrics. Fabrics. <laughs> <laughs> I had a bead loom. I would make jewelry. I thought I would be a jewelry designer. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't really in the kitchen. It wasn't until I moved uh, after college to Stanford, Connecticut to work at um, GE where I was living alone in a tiny apartment in a very, very small town or suburb, I should say, not even Stanford. It was outside of Stanford, Connecticut. And I was lonely and I didn't know a lot of the people I was working with. Um, when I had moved out there, it was completely new. I had no friends on the East coast or in particular in, in Connecticut. And so I started to watch the food network and that just became my source of entertainment. And I would come home and I started to, you know, be friends with Ina Garden and Elton Brown and Giada and I would watch and then I'd actually go make their recipes and try it out. And so it was more of a hobby for me that I started to discover. And then over time, I started to invest more and more into cooking and um, started a few different food blogs over different periods of my, my life. Um, I think there's a graveyard out there of abandoned food blogs and I have two. And, uh, and then went to, to business school and cooking disappeared for a while for me because I was really, really busy. And then when I moved back to San Francisco, I started the food blog again and did a lot of food photography and styling and really immersed myself in that space more as a, a hobby. Once again, I was working in tech and needed a lot of um, time to explore my passions outside of work. And so that was it for me. And it wasn't until I spent more time on the site that I realized I was missing um, I was missing this source when it came to cooking and it was a source that felt like they, like it understood what it meant to be, you know, in your late twenties, single, <laughs> living in an apartment and wanting to cook. A lot of the content out there felt very geared towards families or parents of families. And so whether you're cooking for four people or five people, I couldn't relate to that. And I also wasn't following a very strict diet. So there are lots of sites out there that are for people following a paleo diet or vegan um, cuisine. And so I felt like I was in this middle area where I was cooking for myself, where I was cooking for friends, and I just wanted good, healthy food. And for me, that meant real ingredients um, and very simple uh, steps. So 
I, I knew in my head there was something missing in the market. I had also walked into a, a very well-known cooking store in San Francisco and remember walking around and wondering, why is this place empty? Food is such a popular topic in this in our society and there there's no one here. And so what's missing? And I, and I knew that there was an opportunity to do more in um, food, both from a media perspective and eventually retail that really spoke to me, my friends, and the types of you know people that I surround myself with. Coming from the business school perspective, we actually met through, uh, yeah. through, through the fact that we went to the same business school, though yeah. not at business school. And uh, I think one of my biggest challenges with cooking and making food is inventory management. <laughs> So how, yeah. what, how, how do you manage inventory in the kitchen? Yeah, well, I'll be very straight up and say, I don't cook every night. And that's a very important part of Confetti Kitchen is not to guilt people into, to, into this idea that you are failing if you don't make dinner for yourself every night of the week. Truly what we want to be is the go-to trusted source. So when you want to have friends over for brunch or you are cooking with someone, you can come to our site and find a really high quality tested foolproof recipe. So back to your question about inventory management. I usually will shop for recipes and specifically for that recipe. So I have a lot of basics. So my pantry, for example, is always stocked with pastas, um, rice, quinoa, things that really don't, and they're, they're pretty non-perishable. My spice collection is pretty, uh, pretty simple. I use a lot of cumin and so I'll continue to use cumin and multiple recipes. And, and that's something that we feature on the site as well is sharing ingredients across recipes because no one wants to waste food. So those, my pantry is pretty stocked with basics that I know I'll use. But then when it comes to my refrigerator, I mean, that that's always a challenge and, and one that I'm still trying to figure out. Oh, I was hoping you would have the silver <laughs> bullet. I was really hoping. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing where I can imagine buying the ingredients for a recipe but then if the amounts aren't exactly right, then you have a bunch of odds and ends. And then, you know, you'd have to fold them each into their own independent, you know, afterward right. recipe. Right. So. I just want to take a minute to share a voice note that Diana sent to me a little while back. I think it'll give you a sense of how deeply she's been thinking about this very topic. Downside of cooking is, um, first of all, if you're going to do cooking, you have to do good at supply chain management. So, uh, you know, food, you get it in, it rots, everything rots on a different schedule, you have to use it. Um, it reduces optionality if you have a huge fridge because uh, you can't just go out to eat on a spur of a moment because the food will go to waste. Um, it also requires managing, you know, like the the dishes pipeline. So I don't like any of those aspects of it, um, even though I do really like supply chain management. So it's a little ironic. As you can see, cooking is a very complicated topic for us. Okay, back to our conversation with Cynthia. I feel like maybe this is a good point for us to make some confessions <laughs> about where we're coming from. So neither of us cooks at home, uh, basically ever, right? Yeah, yeah. My uh, fridge is entirely filled with Perrier, exclusively Perrier from Amazon, Amazon Prime. I yeah. can attest to that. 
and olives sometimes. Olives yeah. are great. Yeah. And uh, my my refrigerator also has olives <laughs> and a variety of other things. Lots of produce from a CSA. Our kitchen is actually very well stocked because my husband cooks all the time. Uh, but I don't. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. So there was a period in my life where I was cooking a lot and really finding joy in it. It was during grad school. And I learned, I, I think I the style of cooking that I learned to love most was the style that requires very little cooking, where you have fresh bread on hand, you have really great cheese and... Uh, greens and olives and you just pull them out of the refrigerator and eat them (laughs) also best dessert ever blueberries with cream poured on top no cooking no cooking required uh so this this is the style of cooking that i really liked because it's lazy cooking i guess and rich and delicious Uh, but then uh, now that I have a partner who is so invested in cooking, he really loves it, and I'm just tired every weeknight, um, and we live in a city where it feels so easy to get food in other ways. Um, my incentives to cook are, are so few, um, but I do feel like maybe I'm missing something from my life since I never interact with my food in any other way besides just eating it. Mm. I'm a great eater. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, my experience with making food is that I have been most motivated to make food when I'm following some nutritional scheme. Right. Uh, And, you know, all of a sudden the old standbys won't do And I get energized by that. I love new systems. I love going all in on experiments. But uh, that means that once I disprove the hypothesis brought about by the nutritional scheme, which I basically always do, uh, then the motivation is gone, right? So I really like the concept that just eating good food with good ingredients uh, and making it for yourself and doing that as either a way of creating a special occasion with people Mm -hmm. you love or nurturing yourself, that sort of single perspective. I think a lot of my, uh, a lot of my objections to cooking come from my understanding of it as primarily a way of taking care of others. And I try to be allergic to caretaking wherever possible because it's very natural to me, but it's also draining. And so cooking is an area where I just never got over the hump. And so I find it very easy to make that my last stand against caretaking of others. But I'm really interested in self-care and I'm missing out on a whole category of that when I refuse to cook. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I found that there are recipes that I go to and I live alone. And so most of the time when I do cook, it's for myself. And I found that to actually be more fulfilling than cooking for other people. And it sounds selfish, but I'm okay admitting that because what makes me happy is having this freedom and um, being empowered to feed yourself what you want when you want. And so for instance, I love pasta and I specifically love carbonara. So good. 
and I love to make it. It's, I think it's pretty, pretty simple ingredients, but it can be a little fussy at times, but sometimes I'll come home after a night out and confession, full disclosure, I'll make myself carbonara and eat it at like midnight, which oh. isn't the healthiest thing. No, it's, it's terrible for you. <laughs> this it's is after really, dinner. Yeah. After dinner, I'm out with friends and I come back and I open up my pantry and I always have eggs, parm, linguine or some sort of pasta. And then usually pancetta. If I have pancetta, then it's like a really good night, but it just makes me so happy. And I think part of it is just having those dishes that you can go back to that comfort you and, and not having to rely on whatever food delivery service happens to be open to get that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that that's part of the self-care. And of course, there are times that I make things that are much healthier and, and do make me feel better several hours later. But I, I do think that's a big part of it. As we said in the beginning, we didn't just want to hear from Cynthia about the magic of cooking. We wanted to experience it for ourselves and see if we could see what she gets out of it. First, we're going to prep the vegetables. And what's so great about this is that we only have to prep onion and bell pepper because we're using canned tomatoes. So that makes it really easy. So actually, both of these, the onion and the bell pepper, are vegetables that we have videos for on Confetti Kitchen. So I'm going to plug that right now. Um, But anyways, we're going to jump in and do it. Okay, let's start with the bell pepper. So yeah, we're just going to cut them into nice little squares, also known as a dice. We're not at a restaurant where they would actually care about consistency. We, We just want it to be delicious. So we are. And generally you want to avoid like this white part, um, because it's just, it doesn't have a lot of flavor and it's annoying. That's it. I noticed you're only cutting one strip at a time, not multiple parallel. Is there a theory behind that? You could. Here, we can do that. I'm just having so much fun. (laughs) I want to make it last as long as possible. You want me to go faster. Got it. Okay, so we can totally do that. No. So you could line them up. Yeah, you absolutely. I mean, that's efficient, and you're an efficient person. So I'm not surprised that you had that recommendation. But yeah, I mean, line up as many as you can. And you'll notice that... um, so I, I have the knife in my left hand because I'm left-handed. And so my right hand, I have like my fingers tucked under. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that you'll never chop your fingers off if you are um, if you have them tucked under. But I mean, when you're not, you know, like I said, working in a restaurant and dicing like, you know, a hundred bell peppers, like chances are you're just going to do one and enjoy it, you know? Mm-hmm. Look how beautiful this pepper is, right? It's gorgeous. Cynthia, what's your favorite part of cooking? Like, how do you feel about chopping? (laughs) (laughs) No, honestly, this was like a very, um, the fact that we're drinking wine to me is just wonderful because I think people just need to slow down. And Mm. granted, we're, you know, we're in a rush, we're hungry and we want to eat. Um, The process to me is, is the part that I actually enjoy the most. Like by the time the food's ready, for some reason, I kind of get full by cooking it. Just maybe you're like trying things and um, just the smell kind of takes your appetite away sometimes. So I love the process even more than the actual meal, which might be unusual. I don't know. I love the idea of snacking and drinking while cooking. And then just maybe you exactly. just put, maybe it's just leftovers that you eat the next day. <laughs> like, why, why not? Cynthia really showed us that cooking doesn't have to be stressful. We absolutely loved her fearlessness and her sense of possibility. What we've tried to do and what our focus is, 
on the site are recipes that are simple and involve few ingredients and have limited equipment needs so that when you decide to make something for the first time, we're not asking you to go buy an $80 food processor or something already that's going to put you in a, a whole new um, level of discomfort. So we're mm-hmm. trying to basically create content that meets people where they are and help them feel comfortable there. But um, yeah, a lot of people have challenges around food waste as well. Mm-hmm. They don't want to buy something that they're not going to use again, or they're convinced that if they buy a jar of um, say oregano, that they'll never use it again either. And, and so what we do is try and use common ingredients throughout all the recipes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And dishes, of course, no one likes the cleanup, but we haven't really solved that. <laughs> <laughs> My my new idea to try to get myself in the mood is go on an artist state style outing to the farmer's market uh, with the license mm. to buy whatever produce speaks to me and then basically just eat that with olive oil. That's my whole plan. <laughs> That's it. You actually could do that with anything you buy at the farmer's market. I'm convinced. <laughs> yeah. I was just there yesterday and everything looked great and would be even better sauteed with olive oil. So it sounds like you would use this as kind of like uh, uh, dipping your toe into cooking. Like, let's try a first thing, which is procuring some interesting Mm -hmm. items that could be cooked potentially, but consume them in a very simple way. Exactly. It's about seeing if I can create the habit if I free it from all preconceptions and obligations. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't tried it yet, so it's just an idea. But I think that, uh, you know, I have so many layered hangups about making food that I am intrigued by anything that feels magnetic to me in the whole arena. And that idea of going on a date alone and cooking it alone and eating it alone and just Mm -hmm. letting all of the worries about caretaking and what it means and my relationship to it fall away and just focus on identifying, see, buy, make, eat. Enjoy. 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 This is so fascinating to me because I also, I'm realizing I have so many layers of hangups related to cooking as well. One is just around obligation. I don't want to feel like I have to for myself And then I don't want to feel like I have to cook for others on a regular basis. Right, right. And actually, this idea of cooking for yourself, when people ask me, you know, how can I get into cooking or what should I do? What do you what do you suggest? And if you cook for yourself first, I think that's a great place to start because then, yeah, you don't get caught up in having to provide for others and then wondering, you know, does it taste good? And am I doing this right? And all of the insecurities about cooking really, I think for me at least, used to stem from this idea of pleasing other people. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, well, I just want it to taste good for me, at least in the beginning. And then you start to develop what works for you. And as you gain confidence, you'll realize that other people will also enjoy it. So you can reframe cooking from obligation to pleasure and self-care. Absolutely. I love that idea. Absolutely. I'm not there yet, <laughs> yeah. but I'm very curious about it. The biggest shift, at least for our generation, is that cooking has changed from being a chore to being a choice. Right? And that's how I think about cooking. And that's when we, when, when we talk about cooking on Confetti Kitchen, we get rid of this general assumption that everyone absolutely has to cook every meal that they have because that has changed. And now when you think about it as something that you do 
because you want to do it, not because you have to, then you can start going to the farmer's market and finding ingredients that speak to you and just figuring out what to do with them. So the other thing I don't like, though, is this idea of cooking as a competitive sport and as, you know, how well can I follow the rules? Mm -hmm. I'm not attracted to the scientific method of cooking where you're finding the best chemical reaction. Not fun for me. All I want is for it to be delicious. Yeah. All I want is for it to be delicious. (laughs) Period. Period. Yeah. And that's all you should want it to be. Yeah. Really. Okay. So... We've talked a little, a lot about um, cooking for oneself, nourishing oneself. For those of us who um, eat and cook in the company of a partner, I wonder <laughs> if you have any advice for navigating the topic of should we make food, should we cook at home, how should we do it, who should do it, in the context of of a relationship, it can be very fraught. Yeah. So full disclosure, I've never lived with a partner, so I've always gotten to enjoy the perks of cooking for myself and having everything taste good or terrible, but not telling anyone. And and having it be just the way you like. (laughs) Exactly. But I have, I have cooked for other people before and it can be intimidating. And I, so I have a few thoughts on this. So first of all, I think the person who should cook should be the person who enjoys cooking the most, just because I feel like you can, you can taste it when someone actually enjoys it. doesn't mean they have to be better. I think there's, but I I do think people who enjoy cooking generally tend to be better just because they've practiced it over time. Um, The person on the receiving end of the cooked meal should also give feedback and by that, I mean compliments to the cook. <laughs> Only good feedback. I mean, I can tell you. And perhaps, like, if, you're, if you've been in a relationship or if you've cooked with someone for a while and you feel comfortable just being direct and honest, fine. But there have been times where I've cooked for another person or, you know, whatever, and you don't hear much. And mm. maybe it's because they're eating and it's so good. But sometimes I kind of want to know, like, was this good? Was it seasoned all right? Like... How does it taste? And it's a very vulnerable position to put yourself in. Even someone like myself who cooks a lot and loves to cook, like the minute I present a plate in front of someone, I look at their face when they take a bite and I'm waiting for some sort of reaction. Mm, This is very interesting to me because I remember right around the time I was getting married, we were talking with a grandparent who had been married twice and had a lot of sage advice for our marriage. And one of the things he said was, you got to tell her if you don't like her biscuits. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. That is so true. I mean, on the one hand, yes, uh, there should be so many positive compliments for the cook. And I would say, on the other hand, if you don't like it, you better say so or else you're going to be eating something you hate for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's too salty, let's just talk about it. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. I want to be better. Olive oil, salt, you can't go wrong. I mean, and also uh, a pinch of salt is something that like I never measure salt unless I'm baking, but a pinch is technically three fingers. And so like a lot of people think a pinch of salt is literally just like their thumb and their index finger um but that's not enough salt a pinch is three fingers so 
There you go. Uh, we should also note that Cynthia is not using a salt shaker or a salt grinder. She is using salt yeah. from a little dish. Yes. So I use kosher salt and I have it in a bowl because I feel like when you sprinkle it out of a shaker, you really don't know how much is coming out. Like I like to feel what a pinch is like and you wouldn't be able to do that if you were sprinkling it into your hand. Like I feel like it's such an annoying task to sprinkle salt when you're cooking. Do you have any questions for us? You what mentioned you had a prompt. Cooking? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I will. I would love to know if you could master any dish, what would it be? This is such an easy question. <laughs> Fatouche salad. Okay. I think you can do that. That's very that's specific. definitely within reach. I agree. I agree. I thought of it on the plane yesterday. <laughs> I had a fatouche salad in Berlin that I ordered four to six times a week delivered to my house. Loved it. So good. Very vinaigrette-y. Um, <laughs> and uh, had just piles of this very stringy cheese that I also loved. Extremely salty. But... Basically, it's lettuce and tomatoes and toasted pita strips, as far as I can tell. We'll get you there. I can I get we there. Can do it. I can do I it. We yeah. Do it. We can do it. <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a really hard question for me. I don't know. I think I'm really a creature of habit. So I just want to come up with a few things that I really, really love and perfect them, make them over and over and over. When I used to cook a lot, I would bake bread. That was something mm. I absolutely loved. And probably because I like eating bread a lot. So I would probably expand my repertoire of breads. I can only, I can do like pizza dough, mm -hmm. bread, and challah. <laughs> like those are my categories. That sounds pretty great <laughs> to me, actually. So I would, I would add some more and also pie. I have an apple pie that is really good. I'm very proud of my apple pie, but it could be better. And I would try other pies. I really like that idea of mastering a few things. I mean, I think that's something that has also changed is that, like I know with myself and my friends, the minute we want to make something, we want to make it, we want it to turn out perfect the first time and we may not ever make it again. <laughs> we just like abandon dishes and move on to the next cool thing. And I know my parents and, and probably, you know, people that you grew up with, they cooked the same things over and over again. And it became stale, like the home cooking book yeah. <laughs> had, had mentioned, but they became very good at it and didn't need a recipe anymore. And it was just through their memory and practice that they you know, were able to make it. But I think that's changed. I like that you're bringing it back. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it right yeah. now, but... But I might, it might be one way to begin incorporating cooking into my life. It's just to remake things I used to like making and then see where it goes from there. Mm -hmm. After I got home from our studio conversation with Cynthia, I decided to try something new. And I placed an Instacart order and I got all the ingredients I needed. And I made fatouche salad, which is the same salad that I always ordered for delivery in Berlin, and I never managed to find it in San Francisco. And one of the things I learned from Cynthia is that the best way to make food is just to make something you really want to eat. And I love that salad with all my heart, and I had a really nice time making it. 
Although I still think the Berlin one is better, but at least it's something to aspire to. Lisa, uh, did you make any life changes after talking with Cynthia? Well, I did leave with warm and fuzzy feelings toward the possibility of cooking. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure I cooked eggs twice since then. (laughs) Possibly also peach cobbler. That happened at some point in time recently. (laughs) So, you know, Should We is all about asking questions, sharing experiences, and making life changes or not. So (laughs) (laughs) we'll see. We'll see. Maybe Cynthia, maybe Cynthia will have a long-term impact on us. But I will say that her perspective on going easy on yourself and just figuring out what you want to do, stripping food of any sense of obligation or expectations that are impossible to meet or, you know, whatever it meant to you as a child or growing up, I really welcome her perspective on just letting all of that go. Mm -hmm. Let it be easy. Let it be easy. I think this conversation for me was about reclaiming cooking as something that is empowering and, uh, beautiful experience and not something that's necessarily an obligation or a burden. So next time we're going to talk to my dear friend Kate Houston, an engineering leader and writer, about another question. Should we give advice? But while we had her in front of a microphone, we also asked her what she thought about making food. I mean, if you enjoy making food, you should make food. Um, Like, for some people, cooking is, like, a very pleasurable activity. Like, they enjoy it. Um, I, like, there's, like, maybe two things that I like to cook. One of them is crepes. And the other one is, like, I like to make myself breakfast in the UK. Like, there's, like, a particular spicy mayonnaise that I like. I like make like fried eggs with like the spice that I like um you know I have some kind of really nice bread (laughs) like it's all just very like optimized but I can't get that stuff in any any other country and so this is only something I do in the UK (laughs) um but I think the other question of like food is like well this is one I think or maybe it's just how I justify it which is like is it economically efficient to cook and so for me because I spend most of my time in Colombia there is delicious, healthy, very cheap food, like a short walk from my apartment. And especially because, you know, I was working from home, like this was how I would make sure I got out the house multiple times a day. And so cooking was like, one, it was something that would take a lot of time and that time could be better spent, in my opinion, on other things, especially relative to what it would cost me to get somebody else to do it for me. And then the second one was like... If I cooked for myself, I might never go outside. (laughs) You know, our, like, mutual friend Alice came to visit me, and she was like, Kate, do you have any snacks? And I was like, no. And she's like, what do you do when you want chocolate? And I was like, well, I go outside. (laughs) Well, I decide I don't want chocolate enough to go outside. (laughs) Thank you to all of our Kickstarter backers. You know who you are for making season two of Should We Possible. Thank you to Math Times Joy for our wonderful new identity and for 
a, a really fantastic design process. Thank you to Louisa Beck for her vision and to Natalie Jones for shepherding us through this entire process as producers. Thank you to our wonderful partners, Stephen and Eric, for loving us unconditionally and putting up with our recording sessions. And thank you to Detour for hosting those recording sessions, at least some of them, the ones that weren't under blankets. And to the band Canada for our theme song, Hey Garland. Should you tune in for our next episode, we'll leave it to you.